0: Father, we're thankful for this morning. Uh, thankful that we're up and here and have the opportunity to be in your Word together. Uh, we're thankful to hear um, from Solomon um, as he spoke by the Spirit uh, for the sake of your church. We pray that we would uh, grow in wisdom. pray that you'd give us Ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to the churches that He'd be at work to make us wise and understanding, that we would grow in godliness, that we would walk with you in a manner that is pleasing to you. Um, that would be the case today and every day in Jesus' name, Amen. Um, so we're going to start the book of Proverbs, but as I do with every book, um, and I I want to remind you of. Of, of a couple of key ideas, so one is um, I want to find out if you guys make sure this is on want to find out if you guys uh, know, are aware of the Old Testament divisions. Do you remember them? So there are three divisions. Christ uses this language, um, he uses particular words to sum them up, but he break, breaks the Old Testament into three parts, which is the th- really the three divisions of the Jewish or Hebrew canon. Anybody remember what they are? Okay, good. So the law, the prophets, and the writings. So Jesus, the way he says it is Moses, right? That's the law. He'll say Moses or the law. The prophets, he'll say something like Isaiah, or sometimes he'll say the prophets, right? Um, Sometimes he'll say the law and the prophets. It just depends on the context you catch there. And then the writings, Anybody remember what the writings, what, what book is usually brought up when the writings are mentioned? Psalms, the first book of the writings um, in the Hebrew order of the canon or Psalms, the Psalter, um, is usually brought up. I, I know when you come to the New Testament and you read, um, as it said in the prophet Isaiah, and then you'll read quotes from Isaiah and then Malachi, for example, the beginning of Mark. The prophet Isaiah says, and then you have a quote from Isaiah and from Malachi and you read that and think, why did he just say the prophet Isaiah says that? It's typical that sort of whatever um, the major book or the major prophet is, um, is going to sort of sum up the other prophets. So it's, it's not atypical for them to say, Isaiah, if they're going to take a major prophet and a minor prophet like Isaiah and Malachi together, the better known prophets kind of get the lead on that. They don't do citations like us, right, like we do now. Um, the way we cite things now is is a is a pretty modern idea. You know, you'll you'll see guys in the ancient world or the medieval world, even the the Reformation world, just cite scholars. They don't like tell you chapter, you know, book chapter, etc. They just say, as Augustine says, da, 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 and they just kind of keep going. But um, I think it's important for us to understand that that the Bible can sometimes cite the same way. So when you get to the, let's talk about what's in the various sections. The law, or Moses, is the Pentateuch, or the five-book scroll. So so you have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The prophets, we usually call, we usually break up into the historical books, like um, Joshua, Judges, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, etc. And then we, we have the prophets, and we break the prophets into major like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and minor, uh, like Malachi or Hosea or what have you. Um, that, what, by major and minor, we just mean the long books and the short books. That's all. It's nothing, nothing particularly uh, fancy there. But the prophets are, in the Jewish order of the canon, what we call the, the former prophets and the latter prophets. Uh, and that's, that's the, the former prophets are what books? Anybody know? Yeah, yeah. what we would call the historical books. They call the, the, the former prophets. Who, who are the latter prophets? Just what we call the prophets. So that would be like Isaiah, you know, what we call the majors, and then the 12, um, which are the minors. All right, so, and then the writings. That's the section we're in now. I said, you guys mentioned it starts with the Psalms. Okay, so if you think about the Psalms, and then after the Psalter, you really have the wisdom literature. What, what are the, anybody know the four wisdom books? Job is the first one, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes, good. So, um, I had three of them up here on the slide, by the way. Um, the, the three that we're moving into of the wisdom literature are, are all what we call um, Solomonic wisdom, In other words, they're all seen as largely written by Solomon, King Solomon, David's son, um, as opposed to Job, which is not written by King Solomon, David's son. And like I said, is likely written in which era? Anybody remember what era I said Job is probably written in? what'd you say? The patriarchal era. So the patriarchal era is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Um, So you think about... uh, the same era as Moses is writing. It's um, <clears throat> probably around there. Now you say, well, Moses was written when they come out of the, in the Exodus. That's right. But he's writing about the patriarchal era. And um, we're not entirely cer- certain where to put Job, but it's referencing the same era. We know that by the kind of language that's being used. Um, so, all right, so that Old Testament division. So today we're, we're in the second book of the wisdom literature, or the first first book of solomon's wisdom right of the three books of solomon's wisdom okay you guys you guys recognize where we're at now all right so now i'm going to move to the next question when i say bt biblical theology if you had to sum up the story of the bible thus far what well, what would you say it is good okay so that simple thing that I ripped off from Graham Goldsworthy and Vaughn Roberts and other guys—it's—it's it's the story of God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Um, there's another way to talk about that, which is that 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 that's being um, God's people really is uh, in God's place under God's rule and blessing is really pointing us forward to the fact that all that's been lost and is being regained in the seed of the woman or the Christ who will be. Uh, and is, you know, God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. Um, And then we are in him. And so we've been telling this story. Now, all right, last kind of comprehension check. How does the wisdom literature further the story? What's that? It doesn't. So why are we doing it? Because part of the Bible, I told you we would talk about every book of the, the Bible in deeper. That's why. But does the wisdom literature further the, the biblical storyline? It does not. What does it do for us, though? Anybody remember? Good. Tells us how to live in the kingdom. In other words, we're learning about what does it look like to live as God's people under God's rule and blessing. How does a wise man live? Right? And so that's what we're looking at when we come to a book like Proverbs. Um, it's just how does a wise man live, and what does it look like to walk in wisdom in God's kingdom. So that's where we start today. The Proverbs, Song of Songs, and Ecclesiastes are all broadly the wisdom of Solomon. So let's look at that. Look at Proverbs one one. Um, Proverbs one one. <laughs> the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Look at Proverbs 10one we We'll keep demonstrating this. The Proverbs of who? You guys there. Proverbs of who? Solomon. Solomon. It's not a trick question. If you can read, you you got it. Okay. Proverbs 25. Proverbs 25, 1. These are also these also are the pro, are Proverbs of who? Solomon. All right, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Anybody wondering which book comes after um, Proverbs, right? So what what, what do we do after we do Proverbs? There you go. Okay, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, um, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Um, so we're going to talk about the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Look at Song of Sol- Solomon or Song of Songs, depending on how your Bible titles it. You can see the, the title given, original title given. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Um, so we're going to look at these texts Okay, so Proverbs, we're going to get wisdom literature from Solomon. Ecclesiastes is going to be a very different flavor of wisdom literature. As we'll look at Ecclesiastes, as we look at Proverbs, it's like, here's how the blessed man walks really in a happy, godly life. And when we go to Ecclesiastes, it's basically like, here's why... Um, your life is a complete and utter waste. It will end fast. No one will care about you and, and, and or remember you. Your grandkids will even forget you, right? Um, that's kind of like, okay, great, thanks. <laughs> Fear God and walk in his commandments. Let's go to the next book, right? Like, so it's a very different kind of wisdom literature um, in which you realize that your life from God's perspective is almost entirely meaningless, um, and then, and so it's like, what do you do with that? How do, you, how do you handle that book? So we'll look at that after Proverbs. And then Song of Songs, which is about Solomon's sex life, right? No. Um, but in the modern sexual era, for some reason, all modern commentators have turned to that. You can't find those kinds of commentaries until the modern era, in which we're basically entirely oversexed. Um, but it's, it's not the way the church saw this book, um, For arguably millennia, Song of Songs, which most people don't realize, was was read. It's one of the uh, one of the what they call the festal garments. It was read at the feasts. There are certain books that were read at feasts. You guys know the feasts, right? Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles, Passover. Anybody know when when Song of Songs was read annually? Passover week. Right? It wasn't like as they came to Passover week, it, thinking about the exodus and the redemption, they thought, you know, we need to meditate on our sex lives. Okay? They didn't see the book that way. We haven't seen the book that way in most of Christian history. So I look forward to looking at it with you um, in, a, in a less modern context because it wasn't like God was forming the, the scriptures and thought, you know, I haven't given them a book on sex. Um, so i 'll throw one of those in that 's not what 's happening there, um, so we 'll look at that at some point. All right. Proverbs has other authors as well, though. it 's not just Solomon who's an author of Proverbs. They, there are other authors. Um, so we 're told in Proverbs 22:16, and in Proverbs 24:23, that they were the words of the wise. Okay, So these are the words of the wise. Who are these wise men? We don't really know. They're not listed for us, but they're just words of wise men. Um, Proverbs 30, verse 1, who, who's another author? King or okay, there's King Lemuel or Lamella, and who else? Agar's gonna take and Agur, King Agur. So we have two other kings who've written, um, some wise men who've written, but largely... Solomon is the primary author. So these are collections of proverbial statements of which Solomon is the primary author. Now, what do we mean by Proverbs? Proverbs are generally short instructions, sayings, or admonitions. Okay? And I'm, I'm sort of breaking those three up. Instructions, because sometimes you'll get whole paragraphs. You guys know that when you read the Proverbs. Um, instructions, sayings, um, or admonitions that are intergenerational observations. Um, what, when, I, when I say intergenerational observations, what do I mean? It's, it's really, a, just break it down. It's as simple as I'm saying. What intergenerational observations, I know it's 6.15 a.m., but let's, let's see what you got. Okay, they stand the test of time. So essentially, wise men over several generations come up with these sort of observations they're largely observing nature and human behavior, and seeing the outcome of that. Um, and those provide promises and threats, right? So, so I'll give you, you know, a, a promise. Basically, you know, the, the the kind of things you hear. Uh, if you run your mouth this way, you're gonna, you know, like the mouth of a fool invites a beating. Right, like that's a threat, right? You know that kind of a thing. So you understand, all right? So uh, provide promises and threats that are situated in a context and in line with God's holy word. In other words, they're essentially applying what we learn from both um, nature and the law, or God's law, and they're taking that and observing it in daily human life, and and then they're telling you how things will, will, what the outcome of things will be. Um, But they're contextual. So what do I mean by that when I say the Proverbs are contextual? It means that they're in a certain situation and if we use answer a fool or don't answer a fool according to his quality, that's making an example of. In some instances, yes, you can a the fool in the list. But you have to have a certain test to use. Good. So... so uh, Contextual or situational. What we mean by that is is that wisdom in one situation is not always wisdom in another, and you have to understand the context and how to apply God's law and what we know about humanity, et cetera, in in a particular context. So Joel referenced answering a fool, Proverbs twenty six, Proverbs twenty six, and verse four. Um, uh, and 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 it's important that we hear this, but I'll I'll only read verses four and five. <coughs> um. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. So what's the proverb? What's the wisdom? When a fool is speaking, what do you do? Yeah, you don't answer him, right? Why? What's the reason you don't answer him? Because you'll be a fool. Have you guys ever ever watched... um, Fool start speaking and you realize, if I wait in here, I'm just going to be caught up in the foolishness, okay? It, every time you open Facebook, pretty much, right? You start to see that happening. <laughs> you know, I, I'm going to comment and it's just going to go nuts, right? All right, okay? And so you should do, like, just, just, just don't. All right, so, yeah, um, I don't know. Okay, answer a fool. Now look at verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So so don't answer him according to his folly, or you're gonna be like him yourself. Answer him um, basically so that you can stop his mouth, so that you can show him he's a fool. And shut him up. Humble him. Alright, so <clears throat> now later today you run into a fool good shot it happens Um, and as you run into the fool he starts running his mouth do you answer him according to his folly or not answer him according to his folly what do you got yeah it depends how do you know what to do yeah wisdom you're either wise or you're not wise um, and w- wisdom will lead you to the proper answer to that question. Um, you're making a wisdom call. Now, uh, generally, generally, not always, I want to be really clear, generally the scripture sees older men as wiser than younger men. Now, there are, there are very specific reasons why that is not always true. Uh, in fact, rebuked, like we saw Elihu rebuked that in Job, um, he Remember, you waits to talk because he's like, you guys are older than me, so I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold my peace and not speak until you older men speak because his assumption is <clears throat> I need to defer to el- older men. They're likely wiser than me, but when they're done, he says, no, basically you're fools, and so I'm going to respond now because you don't have spiritual wisdom. But um, generally, the Bible talks about older men as wise. Um, The assumption when it says that, though, is not just because you're old, you're wise, but the assumption is they've had a longer time to walk in godliness. They've had a longer time to walk in godliness. So you can be an old fool, right? Okay, Or you can be an old wise man, and the distinction is, did you walk in godliness for a long time or not, right? Now, why is an older man who walks in godliness a long time generally going to handle or know better in a particular situation, should I... Answer the fool or not answer the fool. Why is he generally going to have a better sense of that? Okay, so experience. Because he's answered fools a few times and he's gotten a sense of how it's gone, and he starts to understand how to recognize which fools to answer and which ones not to, and when to answer and when not to, right? He's walked in godliness for a long time. And so he's just got that sort of experience. Is the same thing's true, by the way, in any area of life, isn't it? Um, so you can talk about just common civil wisdom. You meet men who, they're not godly men, but, but they've been, they're, they're decent, civilly decent people. You guys know what I'm talking about? And they're just wise in how to handle a lot of things in like in their vocation or financially or whatever, right? They're just wise in how to handle it. Um, and then you meet godly men who've walked with the Lord a long time, and they're, they're wise in a variety of ways, but you see it impressed in their life, um, whether that wisdom is in raising children, because they've done it for so many years, or, and, and done it well in a godly, faithful way, or it's, you know, you t- t- take your pick on what it is, right? Uh, been an integrous businessman who survived with integrity, um, which is not easy to do long term. Uh, because there are a lot of challenges to integrity in the business world and how do you serve? So like there's, there's a lot of ways in which you, you see these guys um, and you look at them and go, well, they're wiser because they're older. So here's what I, I guess I'm pressing on with wisdom that you have to get a hold of as we're looking at this. Um, wisdom is taking the law of God and what we know about human nature just by observation. Because remember, God's given us two books. He's given us the book of nature and the book of scripture. Right? So the things that have been made. We get to know what human beings are like, how they tick, particularly in the context of our own culture. Because in one culture, something might be wise, and in another culture, it's not wise. So we're taking the law of God. Um, but I should just define that, because we're always talking about culture, and we're never talking about what it is. I was just talking to Cutter about this yesterday. Cult. You always hear the word cult, and you think of a cult, like the, the guy's knocking at your door. That's not what I'm talking about. When I use the word cult, I mean cultus or worship. You have cult which is cultus, or worship, and you have culture, which is ethics, basically. Ethos um, is a Greek word for the way of living. Um, in Latin, we use a different word. We don't use ethos, obviously, because that's a Greek word. Anybody know what le- Latin word is used? Brett does, because he's teaching the classical school. Habitus, right, or habits, um, so, we, we talk about habits or ethics. Culture is essentially your way of living. And it's in line with your cult, your worship, right? So, you worship a particular being, right? Um, and obviously, we, we believe in Christianity. So, we worship the God of Christianity. Um, and, and that issues in a kind of culture or living. So, there is a Christian culture. Right in that sense, or ethos, way of living. Um, it, it, now it's going to articulate itself differently in different human cultures that exist out there. Um, I don't mean differently in the sense that ethics are flexible, I, I, that's not what I mean. Um, I, vir, the vir, what's virtuous is what's virtuous, what's lawful and ethical is what's lawful and ethical or moral, period. Uh, but it's gonna show up somewhat differently in different cultures, you're going to, to wrestle with different questions, right? So, for example, if you're a Christian missionary to a people that believes in polygamy, and you get there and they come to Christ, does the dude divorce all? Uh, which wives does he divorce, right? And how do you work that out? And what happens to those women when they have no husband taking care of them? And how do you work that out, right? Um, that's a different set of. I mean, the ethic is clear. You're not supposed to have more than one wife. Um, how you're working that out as a pastor day-to-day is a little bit more difficult than than here. We're dealing with a different set of questions, right? I, I, I once was in seminary with an African pastor, so a, a pastor from Africa. Not, I, don't, I don't just mean he was black. I mean, he was a pastor from Africa, and he was in seminary with me, and we were talking about polygamy, and one of the guys was making a crack about polygamy, and the pastor, this guy says, in the seminary, he says, you know what's... Um, strange about you Americans. You keep making fun of polygamy. Um, and, but, but the only difference between you and, and us is we have all our wives at the same time, right? And, and uh, In other words, you divorce and remarry, and divorce and remarry. And so why, why, it's like same ethical issue, different manifestation in how you're dealing with it. You guys follow me on that and how you're pastoring in the midst of it. So Um, We we understand that that how we walk in wisdom can be quite frustrating in a lot of regards because that way of living that ethic is going to it's going to take a long time to develop. You walk in godliness in line with the word of God for a long time and 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 it's you slowly become wise. Now some men, by the way, become wiser much more quickly than others. Um, they grow in godliness much more quickly because the Spirit gives wisdom to whom He wills, right? So we see that in the case of Solomon. The Spirit gives Solomon great wisdom. Um, you guys, some of you know Jason Faber, one of our pastors here. I met him when he was 18. Um, he's been wise since 18. Like, when I met him, I mean, I thought he's like some kind of wise old man at 18 years old. It was crazy. And... Um, There are people like that. There are people like that. So if you read Spurgeon's morning and evening devotions, and you read those things, and you read selections of Spurgeon, you think, this is incredibly deep and helpful and meaningful, and I wish I could someday, I hope to mature to the point where I could even articulate myself half as well as this. And you realize some of those were written when he was 17, 18, 19 years old. Right? Um, So there are men like that. Um, and we, we need to understand that, but, but in general, wisdom is something slowly developed as we grow in godliness over time, over time. Um, at different rates, obviously. Um, Proverbs is teaching us the way to wise living with God and others. I say that, it's teaching us the way to wise living with God and with others, right? In other words, a lot of the Proverbs you'll notice are not just how you walk with the Lord, but how you live with your neighbor, or how you live with um, your employer, or how you live with your spouse, or your, you know, parents, or what have you, right? So with God and others, um, and thus true Edenic happiness in God's kingdom. You say true Edenic happiness in God's kingdom. It's, it's teaching you how to, walk, how to walk wisely with God and others, and thus really um, how to walk in true Edenic happiness? Why do I say Edenic happiness? Anybody know? I'm I'm being fairly redundant when I say true Edenic happiness. Why? Why? Why in God's kingdom? That's a very redundant statement. Okay. Um, why? 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 Why all the redundancy? What is it? What? Am, what am I pointing out? That's how it should have been. Um, Do we use the word happiness in our culture? Do do we want to be happy? Okay. Um, Is our definition of happiness the same as what we would have seen in Eden? No. Okay. Our our definition of happiness is, you know, God wants me to be happy, which means God wants me to fulfill my flesh, do whatever my my heart desires, right? Uh, That is not Edenic happiness. Edenic happiness is God wants you to be happy, i.e., do whatever he commands. Very different, right? Um, do whatever he commands. Uh, so, so I'll see this in the counseling office. The Lord wants me to be happy. That's why I need to divorce my wife. He, he's, uh, well, divorce is a sin. Well, not if being married is harming my happiness, um, I, I, And to which I always want to ask, what, which happy marriages end in divorce? <laughs> but oh, Okay, okay, God wants me to be happy, right? And, and so that's not what we mean by happiness. Happiness is not fulfilling your, your, you know, the pleasures of your flesh. Happiness is, is walking in, with God in Eden. In other words, in um, Eden is, is in his presence, dwelling with him, obeying his word, Right? So, and and just to show you that's coming right out of the text, let's look first at Proverbs 1. Proverbs 1. And look at verse 2. To know wisdom and instruction. So he's giving these Proverbs, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. To receive instruction and wise dealing, you guys, are you guys hearing the, the the sort of piling up of uh, of adjectives here, um, and verbs, etc. That that it's it's wanting you to know, to understand, to receive what wisdom and instruction, words of insight, instruction and wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, Um, to give prudence to the simple. The simple is likely the fool. Um, Proverbs 14, 15. Just keep your hand there and look at Proverbs fourteen fifteen. Sometimes the simple just means the uninstructed, but sometimes it takes a little bit of a stronger flavor. Look at Proverbs 14, verse 15. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives to, thought to his steps. Okay? When somebody believes everything, we think of them as a, what's that? A simpleton or a fool, um, gullible, they just believe everything, right? Um, and, and, and he's saying, I want to give prudence to the simple, right? That's what I want to do. I want to help the simple uh, become wise um, or the foolish in this case. The person who believes everything needs to learn how to discern from, between good and bad, right and wrong. Ethical and unethical. You guys follow me on that? okay? You need to be able to discern. Make good judgments and good decisions. Uh, Because the simple, the problem with the fool is just believes whatever comes along. Right? So he just parrots whatever's out there. You do you. Right? What does that even mean? I think I know what people mean by it. Um, You know, but it's a confusion of categories, isn't it? Behavior. And identity as if they 're the same thing, you do you, like we, we used to just actually say i 'm this person, and I behave in this way, like so think about the issue of sex. sex was just something you did, and now somehow it 's become who you are right and it 's it's, it's it's an odd turn, right, so that I am my urges, which is kind of a sad, reductionistic view of a human being. Um, you, I, I think as Christians, you ought to rehumanize people by refusing to 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 reduce them to the level of their animal appetites, right? Um, So I I just think it's incredibly important. People's animal appetites are not who they are, right? Um, And to to go along with that line is to to really dehumanize people, So dehumanize them. Um, So we don't want to do that. All right, so... Uh, we're giving prudence to the simple knowledge and discretion to the youth. Uh, what's the assumption? What's the assumption? Who does he want to give knowledge and discretion to? Why the youth? Because they generally don't know anything, right? Um, in general, um, now, now remember, okay, okay, again, we come back to Elihu, who's the younger of the of the counselors of Job, Um, And is the only godly one of the counselors of Job. The older ones are fools. So it's not old means wise. Um, You can be an old fool. But it is typically that godliness, people walking in godliness um, for a long period of time are wiser. Therefore, young Christians or young believers are not going to be as wise. Make sense? So, the youth, let the wise hear and increase in learning... And the one who understands, obtain guidance. Um, by the way, only the man born of the Spirit will understand. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 9 and following. Only the man born of the Spirit will really understand. Um, it goes on. Um, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. All right, now look over at Proverbs 3 when I'm talking about this Edenic happiness that we want you to walk in um, a kind of Edenic happiness, blessed. Now we can translate that, by the way, as happy. Um, this is not the same kind of blessedness as um, um, what we're going to see with when God blesses the creation in Genesis one, like this week. God blesses the creation, and then he then you know on Sunday morning. So we'll look at that. Um, God blesses the creation, says, "Be fruitful, and multiply." And then in one twenty-eight, He blesses man and says, "Be fruitful and multiply." That blessing leads to a kind of fructification. In other words, there's a there's a sense in which God saying to to man uh, or to or to the creation, "I want you to be fruitful and multiply," and the blessing is actually going to bring about the the end which God commands. Right. So He's going to give what He commands, if you will, in that sense. Um, that this is a, this is more like This kind of blessing here is more like happy. Uh, But happy in the true Edenic sense. In other words, in the walking with God. How do I know that? Look there. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her, from wisdom, is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Um, So think about this. Godly wisdom is is better than wealth, So he's saying, Uh, and nothing else compares with it. Long life is in her right hand, in her left hand are riches and honor, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. Now catch the language, she is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her, those who hold her fast are called blessed. Where does that imagery come from? Yeah, so the garden, Genesis 2, the tree of life. Wisdom is a tree of life to those who gain hold of it. That's why I say Proverbs is teaching us the way to wise living with God and others, and thus um, true Edenic happiness in God's kingdom. What does it mean to walk as God's people in God's kingdom? Well, it means to walk in wisdom. And what does it mean to walk in wisdom? It means to walk in accord with the law of God in in your particular situations and contexts. Right? so, uh, we want to be clear what Proverbs is teaching us. Now, Proverbs grounds wisdom in the fear of the Lord. So, look back at um, Proverbs 1-7. When we say something grounds something, what do we mean? Let's throw that word out there. But What does it mean? Come on, guys. Let's, let's hear an answer. What does it mean to ground something? Okay, it gives a reason for. Um, so, if something's grounded... Huh? Right, right. Yeah, there's a kind of solid foundation there underneath it, right? So, um, what's the foundation of it? Proverbs grounds wisdom in the fear of the Lord. Look at 1, seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Um, What's he saying about the fool? The fool lacks what? He, 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 well, he despises wisdom, but what does he lack? He lacks the fear of the Lord. He doesn't fear God, right? Fundamentally does not fear the Lord. Um, look at Proverbs 9.10, just so you can see this go through the book. Proverbs 9, 1 through 9 end a section, which we'll look at next week um, as a whole. But look at Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So how, how do you grow in wisdom? Yeah, you need, you need to know the Lord. Fear Him and know Him. Um, look at Proverbs 31, just in case you think this only applies to men. Here's, here's, here's a proverb se- proverbial section written ex- expressly for women as the book ends. Um, and and look what it says about um, the godly woman or the wife that everyone wants, if you will. Charm is deceitful. Verse thirty, Proverbs thirty-one, thirty. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Right? Um, charm is deceitful. Let's keep that. There's nothing good about being charming here. That person's, that woman or that man is so charming, right? Actually, that's, dis, they're deceitful, they're, they're, it's not good, right? You guys hear that? Boy, that's a real, that person's a real charmer. That's bad. That's not good. That means they're a flatterer. They're a person who gets people to like them effectively. Um, it, 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 it's generally um, seen by the Proverbs as a deceitful behavior, Um, You don't actually care about people. You care about people caring about you, right? Very different. So I've told my kids all growing up, um, don't be nice. I I just forbid you as my children to be nice people. Uh, Be kind, but nice people, you know, are people who want people to like them. So they say whatever it takes to get people to like them. Kind people do what's best for others, whether or not people like them. There's a big distinction there. there. It's important. Um, Niceness originally, by the way, means stupidity. I don't know if you know that. Go look up the original definition of being nice. It means to be stupid. Um, But we don't spend any time in our dictionaries any longer. You don't really want to be winning people over to you. You want to do what's good for them. right? We get that confused. So Jesus commands you, as does, by the way, Moses, love your neighbor, right? Here's what he doesn't say. Get your neighbor to love you. Very different kinds of commands. We've confused that, right? I want to love my neighbor as myself in our current era means let's get our neighbors to love us. Um, Very different things, right? Um, All right, so charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. What does he mean? It, it goes away. Chasing beauty is like chasing after the wind. You can see it in our culture because women are increasingly getting, especially women are increasingly getting more and more, especially celebrity women are getting more and more plastic surgery. And so eventually, you know, they get into their 60s and 70s, they're still doing it and they all start to look the same. Have you guys noticed that? Their faces all sucked back and they, they all look like Sa- Sally Jesse Raphael looked in the 80s and 90s, if you remember her. Um, talk show host, right? And it, it's like, hey, beauty's vain. It's fleeting. I don't care how many surgeries you get. It's, it's running from you. And we all see it. It's, like, it's sprinted the other direction. I think it's already across town, right? It's left. It, but that's vain. What, what matters what, is what? A woman who fears the Lord, right? As this, is, this is a central message of Proverbs uh, from beginning to end, wisdom is found in fearing the lord that's where it's found Uh, that's what you want to be you want to be a man or a woman who fears the lord right and so you see what is fearing the lord it's demonstrated in awe trust and humility before him and his word in other words how do you know if you have the fear of the lord because you are in awe of god um, you trust him and you're humble before his word Right, Um, so let's look at that. Look at Proverbs three. Proverbs three again, which we were just at, and verse five. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. All right. So notice this. This this phrase here gives you what you must embrace and what you must forsake. What must you embrace? the Lord, trusting him with all your heart, what must you forsake? Your own understanding. In other words, trust God, not yourself. Right? That's what he's saying. Don't trust your own self, trust the Lord. Um, That that can't be any clearer. I've said for years at Sovereign Grace, the person I, I trust the least in one sense is me because I lie to me really effectively, because I don't even recognize I'm lying to me, right? Uh, I just believe it. And, and so you don't trust in yourself, you trust in the Lord, right? You trust in the Lord. I actually, like if Josiah's running a, uh, some kind of game on me, let's say, I don't know that he ever has, but let's say Josiah, I'm not saying he is, but if Josiah and I are like, I find out, um, I, Josiah did A, B or C, and I don't know if I trust his motives, right? and, I, and you guys know this happens. The, the guy, you text the guy, and you say, hey, let's go to whatever, and then he says, okay, great, and then he doesn't show, and then you're like, why, why didn't he show, and then you start running down all the possible scenari- reasons why he might, and then you impute to him the worst possible motives, probably because he's a jerk, who doesn't actually like me, and he just lied in the first place, right? Yeah, this is the kind of thing we do, right? And you start imputing bad motives to people, like my daughter just called me last yesterday, and it's like, I invited this person, and they said no, and I don't know why, and Do you think it's because this or because this or because this? And I finally just stopped and I said, I have no idea why that person said no, nor do you. What's the point of speculating about that? Right? Um, And they, well, he'll have to wait. Sorry. Um, So somebody's calling me, FaceTiming me right now, but I'm from Scotland, so I have to wait. But so they're, they're, um, you know, I told her, you don't know. You don't know. what, what their motives are. What's amazing about that is we, we impute to them generally the worst possible motives, um, but then impute to ourselves the best possible motives. We're, we're, what's, what's amazing about that is, like, I, I, have not, I have not seen Josiah sin. Maybe he has, but I haven't seen it, like, in my, my own life. Like, I've never seen him sin. I, I'm sure he does, plenty, but I haven't actually personally seen it. So I have no evidence to impute to him the worst possible motives but I know myself quite well, and yet I still impute to myself the best possible motives. Do you see the problem there? (laughs) This is the kind of thing, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths, right? Right? In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Here we go again. Don't trust yourself. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Um, you guys can hear what's being said here. This is the same thing being said, and for example, let me give you the short form of it. How do you know whether you're trusting the Lord? Deuteronomy 29, 29. Anybody know what that says? The secret things belong to the Lord, okay? But the things that have been revealed belong to you and to your children, right? Now, he's gonna tell you what the things that have been revealed. The things that have been revealed in the the context of Deuteronomy 29, 29, Twenty nine, twenty nine is the Torah, the book of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the things that have been revealed. You know, he's going to go on to say that. By the way, the book of the law, that's been what's been revealed. So you, you, you've had the book of the law revealed to you. That belongs to you. The secret things, the things God hasn't revealed, those belong to Him, right? Um, and so, what's your job? To work out the secret things so, or, or to just walk in God's law. It's really clear, okay? Uh, when, you, when you try to work out the secret things, you, you trust in yourself. You lean on your own understanding. I'll, I'll give you an example of that. What's going to happen to California? Right? I, everybody's freaking out, right? So you turn on the news and everybody's prognosticating, here's what's coming for the future, and maybe some of it's right, And here's what you should do. You should move to this particular red state, or you should, whatever, whatever it is, right, that the advice happens to be. Um, We don't know what's gonna happen, ultimately. We can speculate. We can make sort of, uh, kind of, looking at general human behavior, human history, and the way things work, and kind of carry this thing out for a while, and see where it's going, and think, well, we're gonna become a third world country on our current trajectory which you know we look increasingly like, uh, especially in our big cities. So you think, oh, that, that, that could happen. But you we, we really don't know. You don't know what God's secret providence is. Right? Maybe there's a massive Christian revival coming. I have no idea. Right? No, no clue. Um, it, when I start making all these plans, leaning on my own understanding, and not just walking in God's law, Right? I, 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 I start to trust myself, my own insights and instincts a bit too much. Right? And God just hasn't told me what's coming for California. Maybe, maybe it's gonna break off into the sea. Right. I don't know, right? Like I have no idea what's coming. Um, and I don't know what's coming even in my day to day life. I don't even know what's coming an hour from now. Right? Um, I have a general sense. But I I don't know, if, if, if my wife gets really sick, I don't know what God's doing there. If a child dies, I don't know what God's doing there, right? I don't know. I'm not supposed to lean on my own understanding, though. I'm supposed to acknowledge him in all my ways and walk in accord with his revealed will. That's it. It's actually really freeing. So you ask the young men, what should you do with your life? Obey God. Yeah, yeah, but... Who should I marry? You should obey God. And then what? And then marry who you want. Right? And if you're obeying God, you're not going to make a bad decision knowingly anyway. <laughs> right? So, you're you're you just obey God. Where should I live? Obey God. Do what you want. Right? You guys follow me on that? Um, it makes life a lot easier. Trying to it like trying to treat life like you're you're you have a never-ending quest to open the next fortune cookie to find out what you ought to do, right? You, you, just, you just obey the Lord and then do what you want. Augustine said it this way, love God and do what you want. The only reason I'm changing it to obey God from love God is because in our culture, love basically means um, do whatever feels good. Um, and so I want to, Augustine was quite clear that the ethical content of love is obedience to God's law right? That's the ethical content of love. You don't love people toward whom you don't obey God's law. You guys know that, by the way. If if I, if I sleep with your wife, I'm not, in fact, loving you. No matter how I feel in my heart, right? Um, you know, if I murder you, I'm not loving you. Or if I falsely testify against you, I'm not loving you. Or if I steal from you, I'm not loving you, or what have you, right? Um, so that love is, is the, its ethical content is the law of God. So, so the wise man obeys the will of the Lord in his word and then does what he wants. He doesn't lean on his own understanding or try to figure out the future. He doesn't know. He just knows that. Um, that doesn't mean he doesn't make good plans or I'm not eschewing making good plans or thinking through what you think is a good way to get things done. I'm not eschewing any of that. I'm saying uh, don't, don't rest your weight on it. At the end of the day, you make your plans. Um, the Proverbs are going to get at that, right? The man plans his ways, but Lord, Lord directs his steps. At the end of the day, you, you, you just don't know what's coming. All right. Um, <laughs> Proverbs promises to those who seek it, promises wisdom. Sorry, to those who seek it diligently. How do you get wisdom? Uh, fear the Lord and seek it diligently. Look at Proverbs 2. My son... If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So how do I get wisdom? I seek it. Okay? Um, And I seek it like... Um, You know, I climb my heart to understanding. Call out for insight. Raise your voice for understanding, right? Seek it like silver. Search for it as for hidden treasure. Okay, so um, all of us have to pay bills. So all of us pursue generating some kind of wealth. And when I say some kind of wealth, relative levels of wealth, none of us are poor in the sense that we're wondering where our next meal is coming from. Like in the Bible, when they're praying, give us this day our daily bread, That, like it's a prayer like, I don't know if I'm going to eat today, so I'm going to trust you for some food, right? We're not doing that, okay? Um, so from that perspective, it's kind of relative levels of wealth. But we're all pursuing or chasing after. Most of you are working quite hard to accumulate wealth. I'm not saying that's wicked, right? He's not saying it's wicked, right? Um, but what's he saying? You ought ought to pursue wisdom that way. The same way that you work hard to accumulate some level of wealth to provide for yourself and your family and your future and your retirement and whatever, you ought to pursue wisdom in the same way. Right? It's a kind of a dedication of your life to it. Um, You want to know the Lord. You want to know his word. You want to walk with him. Right? You seek it diligently. You guys know what that's like. If you want something, you seek it diligently. You just do. Um, And that's what he's saying. Seek it diligently. Prayerfully attend to God's word. I say prayerfully attend to God's word. That's how we seek wisdom. We prayerfully attend to God's word. Um, and, And then God gives us wisdom. Sometimes more slowly and frustratingly than we would like. But it comes nonetheless. Often after much discipline but it comes nonetheless, right? Um, okay, so Solomon and the receipt of wisdom. I just want to talk about Solomon for a minute because we need to ground this writing in the man who's the primary writer of it. I've gone over First Kings, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I want to hear about his gaining of wisdom and see a couple of quick, make a couple of quick notes. First uh, Kings 3 is where Solomon really is... Um, Praying for wisdom, he's offered whatever he wants. You guys remember, and by God, and he asks for wisdom. So let's look at First Kings three, and verse one. Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David. By the way, that's that's kind of a, a beginning of an ominous note in Kings. It's not yet ominous in the sense that it's not yet um, giving fruition to sin. It will, um, but. But taking Pharaoh's daughter into, into, the, into his house in the city of David is not good, right? You're realizing, uh-oh. You're not supposed to take foreign wives. He's already on the road to destruction, if you will, um, of his kingdom. But you're not quite there. You're just giving little hints it's coming. Um, but anyway, because goes, "...until he had finished building his own house in the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were sacrificing at the high places, however." Because no house had yet been built for the name of the Lord. Solomon loved the Lord. Walking in the statutes of David, his father, only he sacrificed and made offerings at the high places. Again, not, not good. So he loves the Lord, but he's doing some things. Right, uh, That's possible. Just so you know. It's possible to love the Lord and also make unwise and even sinful decisions happens, right? If you love your wife, you know what I mean, because sometimes you sin against her and you love her. You haven't stopped loving her. Those particular acts aren't loving, but you haven't stopped loving her, and you can love the Lord and sometimes do stupid, sinful things, right? That's not an excuse. It's just fact. So look what he goes on to say, and the king went to, to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the great high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what what I shall give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, because he walked before you in faithfulness and righteousness and an uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne this day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of David, my father, although I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in, and your servant is in the midst of your people whom you've chosen, a great people, too many to be numbered or counted for multitude. So what's he saying? I'm a young king, you've been kind to your people, Um, and I I want to lead them well. I want to lead them well. So he goes on, give your servant therefore an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? <clears throat> it pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this. And God said to him, because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches or the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none, of you, so that none like you be, um, has been before you, and none like you shall rise Arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked in them, I will lengthen your days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. Then he came up to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Remember, that's where the law is. And offered up burnt offerings and peace offerings, and made a feast for all his servants. Okay. Now, the next scene, that wisdom is tested. These two prostitutes come in. They argue over who a baby belongs to. You guys remember what Solomon's resolution of the problem was? Well, let's just cut the baby in half. And you can each have half, right? Um, Now, um, the true mother is like she can have the baby, right? In other words, would rather not. The, The false mother, the one who wasn't really the mother, was like, sort of game for that. And Solomon's like, well, now I know who the true mother is because it's the one who's willing to give up the baby rather than see it cut in half. And, and we get this language, verse 28. And all Israel heard the, of the judgment of the king and had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. So he's this just king. He's this just king. And he's being seen as wise and just Um, Look at his wisdom played out. Look at chapter 4 and verse 20. Chapter 4 and verse 20. Judah and Israel were as many as the sand of the sea. They ate and drank and were happy. Um, Solomon ruled over all the people or the kingdoms from the Euphrates, to the land of the Philistines, the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life, which, by the way, is a fulfillment of the promise to Abraham in Genesis 22. Remember, he would possess the gates, the seed of Abraham would possess the gates of his enemies, and the the, the foreign nations would bring tribute to him. Um, We see that typologically in Solomon. Now, we're going to see that anti-typologically, or in other words, in fulfillment in Christ. But we see it first by typing in Solomon. Now, look at what it goes on to say. Solomon's for provision for one day um, was 30 cores of fine flour and 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen and 20 pasture fed cattle, 100 sheep, besides deer, gazelles, roebucks, and fat and fowl. For he had dominion over the, all the region west of the Euphrates, from Tipsa to Gaza, over all the kings west of the Euphrates, and he had peace on all sides around him. And Judah and Israel lived in safety from Dan even to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree. All the days of Solomon. Solomon also had 40,000 stalls of horses for his chariots and 12,000 horsemen. And those officers supplied provisions for King Solomon and for all who came to Solomon's table. Each one in his month they let nothing be lacking. Barley also and straw for the horses and swift steeds they brought to the place where it was required, each according to his duty. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure. And breadth of mind like the sand of the seashore. So that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan the Ezrahite, and um, Heman, Kalkal, and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke three thousand proverbs, and his songs were one thousand and five. He spoke of trees, from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. That this that, by the way, that's fascinating. What's he speaking about? What's he has? Wisdom not all over justice and how to rule justly, but wisdom about what? Nature. Nature. Like he's, he's some kind of a scientist here. Speaking about trees. Right? And look what he goes on. He spoke of also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. Right? So, so both the plant and animal kingdoms, he has wisdom with regard to and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. He's, he's like a second Adam here, isn't he? Adam's in there with wisdom over the animals, naming them and the trees, et cetera, et cetera. And you're getting this language here about Solomon. He has wisdom about God's creation. He has wisdom about how to rule in a kingdom. This is what wisdom looks like. Wisdom is not just... Um, I'm wise in this one interaction with this other person, but a wise leader is just, right, and righteous. Um, we've lacked that for some time in America, right? Like, what's a wise leader look like? It seems like it's been um, generations or something since we've had one, potentially. Um, what they, they, they look like these men who rule justly and righteously, right? Um, what does a wise leader um, uh, this, this, in this sense, um, this is some—he's he's playing some kind of scientific roles or some sort of wisdom with regard to nature. You guys see it, all right? There are guys out there in the work world in your area of vocation who are just wise in how to execute that vocation well, right? Solomon's given that kind of comprehensive wisdom—not just wisdom as a king to rule justly or to walk in godliness, but even wisdom over nature, like to see and know what 's happening in the world? Um, look at chapter ten last one chapter ten we'll be concluding, with just this in a short little um, outline chapter ten and verse twenty one there's a lot of gold being mentioned here because we're we 're getting a kind of new Eden um, in first kings first king's remarkable especially the the first um, 10 chapters. By the end of chapter 10, you're pretty confident Solomon must be the seed of the woman, the Christ. He must be him. Then you get to chapter 11 and you, and you read, and Solomon loved many foreign women. Oh no, <laughs> he's not the one, right? <laughs> it's going to be a problem. It's like this big disappointing note. But at this point, you're still thinking he's pretty, he's pretty amazing. Look at verse 21. Um, All King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold, and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were of pure gold. None were of silver. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Haram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come, bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. He has some kind of zoo going on, right, with apes and peacocks, all sorts of animals, Um Thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom and the whole earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom which God had put into his mind. So with Solomon you get a nearly edenic picture. His, his kingdom is like the garden of Eden with all the animals and the trees and he's able he's got wisdom over all of them and it's all this gold and jewels like you, you know you see the description in Genesis 2 and, and he's worshiping God there. He's built a temple to the Lord for worship. And he's ruling justly. And all the nations are pouring in to hear his wisdom that God has given him. And you think, oh my goodness, he's some kind of a figure. figure. Um, and and then, then you come to um, 11, chapter 11, verse 1. Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. And, and the fall of King Solomon begins right there, right? Um, and you start to read about the problems with Solomon. The, the reason I drive at that is just to say um, Solomon is a man filled with godly wisdom who yet still struggle with sin, um, fairly significant sin, actually. In his case, um, he ends up with 300 wives and uh, 700 concubines or so. Um, and you think uh, any man who gets 300 wives cannot be described as wise, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yet he is, right? And so we, we understand that, but, but Solomon is given a kind of wisdom from God, um, and we're reading about that wisdom in uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Um, now, let me tell you the brief outline of Proverbs, and we'll pick up next week. Um, we went over the prologue today, 1, 1 through 7, which just tells you what it's about. It's to teach you wisdom and how you get the wisdom or where it's grounded, the fear of the Lord, right? Next week, we'll look at the wise or the foolish path. There are two paths put out by Solomon in Proverbs 1, 8 through 9:18, called the wise and the foolish path, and it seems that Solomon knows where his own advice has gone astray, Uh, In other words, the the advice he's taken for his own himself, uh, because you get to like Proverbs 5, and he's like, stay away from that adulterous woman, son, right? Please listen to me. This is not going to go well for you. Um, And and so he seems to have learned from his own foolishness, but the wise and the foolish path really take us to the end of chapter 9, and then there are Proverbs of Solomon and others that kind of fill the rest of the book. So we're going to take it like that, uh, Proverbs one eight through nine eighteen next week, then Proverbs 10, 1 through thirty one thirty one probably the two weeks after that, um, which will bring us to Friday November nineteenth. So we'll meet every Friday through Friday November nineteenth, and then we'll take a break because Thanksgiving, Christmas, nobody comes in December anyway. When I hold it, so I've just learned over the years to stop having it in December. So we'll go to Thanksgiving, Christmas break, and then we'll come back in January, pick up Ecclesiastes and Song of Songs. And then, well, out of the wisdom literature, and now um, moving into um, Ezra and Nehemiah, some of those books. So, um, any questions? Well, we have Lamentations as well. So, there's Daniel. There's quite a few books in this section, 1st Chronicles to get to. Um, Any questions as we wrap up today? If you went and got a scholarly outline, it would be much more complicated than that, by the way. Um, I'm just giving you a simple outline to follow through, so Um, no questions? All right, so what I would encourage you to do is really read well Proverbs 1.8 through 9.18 and watch for these two paths. There's the foolish path and the wise path. Um, He's gonna talk about them. He talks about what the foolish path is and what the wise path is, and he talks about the outcomes of the foolish and wise path. So just be paying attention to that, and the man who follows each path, um, be paying attention to that as you read it this week, Um, and then we'll just go over that next week. So let me pray. Father, we're thankful for um, your word and the fact that you have chosen in kindness to give us uh, this word. We recognize the bent of our hearts towards sin and selfishness and self-reliance and trust. And we pray that you would curve our hearts out toward you by the working of your spirit so that we would not lean on our own understanding, but we would lean upon, put our rest our weight upon your word, what you say, that we would trust you and obey you. Father, we pray that we would be free of trying to figure out all of life and what's coming, and that we would just enjoy um, walking in trust and obedience um, to your law and doing what you've given us, what put it right in front of us um, this day, not worrying about tomorrow, knowing that um, today has enough to worry about. Um, Help us to walk in godliness and wisdom today.